With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of the Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by Ritani. Looking for an engagement ring? Check out Ritani. Shop online and your ring is made in New York and sent to you or a local jeweler. It's that easy. Go to Ritani.com slash sports, that's R-I-T-A-N-I dot com slash sports today for their free diamond giveaway. Welcome to another special Copa America edition of the Planet Football Podcast. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Gentlemen, uh, just as we suspected all along, the USA is, has won its group. Uh, I'm kidding, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but credit where it's due, the Americans will take on Ecuador uh, in the quarterfinals in Seattle on Thursday. And before we get to that matchup and talk about the U.S. and its accomplishment, we got to discuss what happened uh, in Peru, Brazil. Uh, we are taping this on Monday. Peru ousted Brazil Sunday night in Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, Massachusetts on uh, a dubious goal, uh, to say the least. Rui Diaz definitely appeared to clothesline the ball into the goal. The referees met for, God knows what, five minutes more uh, Nobody really knows what they were talking about. They ruled it a goal. It shouldn't have been Grant uh, lunacy, absolute lunacy. Yeah, it was. And, I mean, just from a spectacle, it was kind of fascinating, I would, I would say, just kind of the, the time you had to sort of watch this unfold and everyone waiting, and then they still got the call wrong. Um, video replay is coming uh, eventually here, maybe as soon as 2017, and that certainly, you would think, would have uh, changed that call. Uh, also, if you'd had assistant referees on the goal line, that probably would have changed the call as well. Uh, but what I found fascinating about this, I mean, obviously Brazil got jobbed here, um, and yet you look at what happened earlier in the tournament, Brazil got the call against Ecuador that kept them from giving up a goal and losing that game in the opener. Uh, and I was reading this very interesting piece in Slate by Daniel Alarcón, the novelist who's Peruvian, uh, and he had a comment that I found interesting, uh, which was uh, from, I think it was a Peruvian commentator, saying what was historic here wasn't beating Brazil. What was historic was Peru getting a game-changing call from a referee against Brazil. Everyone expects that Brazil's going to get the benefit like they did against uh, Ecuador, and that didn't happen here. So, uh, lots to talk about other than that, but, uh, you know, just sort of a fascinating way of people in other countries look at the game differently, and 
uh, you know, they see conspiracies and, and they see these types of things and they never expect calls like that to go their way if you're Peru. Uh, but this one did. Uh, yeah, you know, you're not used to really seeing Brazil have the calls go against them, especially uh, in, in a game where they're such a, a heavy favorite. Um, and look, on the balance, though, you know, Brazil never put Peru away. They had every opportunity to do that. They controlled the game in the first half. This is, you know, in a way on them for not taking care of business and kind of coasting through this game. Just, you know, they need they knew that a, a draw was all that they needed to, to win the group and go through. But, you know, you, if, you, if you let the opportunity for controversy uh, to rear its head, sometimes it's going to. And, uh, and for Brazil, man, abs- absolutely brutal. Um, Brian, would you say that Brazil got concacaf in a game between two South American teams? Well, the referee was Uruguayan, so I suppose he figured that if they were going out, he was going to take Brazil with them, you know, to <laughs> them. Terms of them getting the call, um, I think it's a shame is a bit of a strong word, but I think it is too bad uh, in a way just for the Copa itself um, that Brazil and Uruguay are both out. I know everybody loves a Cinderella story and that sort of thing, but when it you know when you're trying to um, sort of sell a tournament and, and and present it as a true championship of the Americas, you know Cinderellas only excite so much. Um, you know, there's this funny. You know, we always talk about we see sometimes we see these wonderful back and forth games uh, with both teams trying to commit and trying to play, um, and we sort of uh, we leave it saying, "Oh, it's a shame one of these teams had to lose." You know, I mean, we hear that all the time. We say it all the time. Uh, it's a shame that uh, one of those teams had to win last night, right? I mean, Peru, <laughs> Peru, uh, you know, Peru punched the ball into the goal. You know, I, I mean, I, I I've seen it called Hand of God Part 2. I, I think Thierry Henry was Hand of God Part 2, so this is now Part 3. Um, and Brazil was just awful. I mean, Brazil, the beautiful game is dead. I mean, with, you know, I, I declared it dead personally uh, after the U.S., I'm sorry, after the uh, quarterfinal against Colombia uh, two years ago. That was a roller derby match. I mean, there was no soccer played whatsoever. Um, it was disgraceful. Uh, and then, obviously, the 7-1 sort of was the, was the, the dirt on top of the coffin. Um, hiring Dunga did, Dunga's not exactly going to resurrect the beautiful game. Um, so the beautiful game is long gone. Uh, Brazil is a shadow of what it was. They were shut out by Ecuador and Peru at this, at this Copa. All their goals came against Haiti. And that's the only reason they had a goal difference, uh, at all. Um, and, uh, it was, it was just a shame to see what Brazil's become. And then obviously Peru sort of cheating to win. Uh, I think the player said to hit his thigh. I mean, at least be honest about what you did. Um, so yeah, retroactively take the goal away. <laughs> yeah, shame, shame. One of these teams had to advance, and and kind of funny that the U.S. you know worked so hard to avoid uh, the best team in the group, and now they're probably playing the best team in the group in the quarterfinals. So uh, you know we we can't even win right in this country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ecuador uh, on paper a more difficult opponent than Peru, although Peru, uh, to its credit, has finished third in the last two Copa Americas. They've that's you know, true. They figured you know what? Out this tournament. You're right, man. You know what? I, I take that back. I'm I'm Peru on the group. Uh, you know, Peru built that lead against Ecuador before before squandering it. But you're right. Uh, two straight bronze medals at the Copa, and 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 maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm looking too much at their their lack of World Cup qualifying performance, and and not looking at maybe how they do in a shorter tournament. And you're right. They they have, you know, they finished third twice in a row. That's pretty good. One thing I would also say about uh, Brazil is, you know, two years ago with the seven one. I remember writing my Sports Illustrated magazine story after the final, and half of it was about Brazil losing 7-1 to in the semifinal. Half of it was about Germany winning the thing. And talking to people in Brazil who thought that finally 
there would be a complete transformation of Brazilian soccer. Finally, that they would start to maybe look abroad to hire a coach and, and see what other countries were doing that had advanced beyond them in soccer. And instead, Brazil responded by hiring Dunga, the same guy that coached them at the World Cup in 2010, the same guy who uh, is more about midfield destroyers than he is about the beautiful game. And so maybe we shouldn't be surprised that this has happened now. Over the last two years, Brazil hasn't gotten better. They've gotten worse. They were brutal in the Copa America last year, going out against Paraguay in the quarterfinals. Uh, they were not good at all in this tournament, as you mentioned, um, you know, against Ecuador and Peru, which were, they're, they're pretty good teams, they're decent teams, they're not great teams, and, and Brazil couldn't score a goal against them. Uh, so if you're Brazil right now, I, I, I think you want to see something major happen, and maybe finally they'll get rid of Dunga and bring in somebody new, but I don't expect it's going to be anybody from outside Brazil, and to be honest, I don't expect uh, a major step forward from Brazil now. Yeah, obviously, a lot of their focus this summer not on Copa America, so we gotta gotta take that into account as well. A lot of the big name players and, and stars not on this team, mostly uh, most notable Neymar, of course. But that said, with the talent that they did have on the field, you still would have expected that team to at least get out of a group for crying out loud. And and so to see them go out. And go out in such stunning fashion was was pretty uh, pretty amazing and not necessarily in, in a good way. Before we go any farther, I want to tell you a little bit of story that connects with our sponsor. Uh, when I was a groomsman in my uncle's wedding, I was in charge of basically overseeing the uh, ring bearer for the wedding, who was my four-year-old cousin. And I got to tell you, I let him out of my sight for one second. And even though I swear the ring... Uh, was on the little pillow with the little twisty tie thing on it. Somehow it came off of the pillow and the twisty tie thing was gone and the ring was somewhere in my uncle's lawn. And uh, judging from the reaction of basically everybody in the wedding party, uh, it taught me right then and there that uh, a ring in a wedding is a pretty big deal and worthy of a lot of stress. Now that was a long time ago, but ring shopping, as I understand it, is still very stressful. And if you're in the middle of entering that stress right now, you should really check out Ritani. They'll help make it a lot easier on you. All of their rings are handcrafted in New York. You shop online and they'll ship overnight to you or a Ritani jeweler close to you. If it's not exactly right, you can return it with no hassle. This is ring shopping on your terms. There's no pressure and no pushy salespeople. And presumably no weird cousins that will drop the rings in your uncle's lawn. Anyway, you design a ring on their easy-to-use website, they handcraft it, and you choose to get it delivered to your home or to a jeweler near you. It's really that simple. Get the perfect ring and feel great about doing it. And this month, they're giving away a diamond. Now, I think this is the coolest part of this whole thing. You can get a diamond from listening to this podcast. Just visit Ritani.com. That's R-I-T-A-N-I dot com slash sports, spelled like sports, today for the free diamond giveaway. But let's let's turn our focus now to who is going on, and, and mostly the USA. Um, U.S. was was left for dead by a lot of people, um, not totally buried by us after the Columbia game. But I think we approached it with the with the right amount of of reality of the situation, the fact that they should have beaten the final two opponents that they had in the group, and they did. And then they got a little hand from Costa Rica, and now they have won their group. They're playing 
Ecuador in Seattle on Thursday. Um, and Brian, you you see this? They're they're the favorite, and I think that's what Jurgen Klinsmann wants, right? You don't see them as an underdog here. No, not at all. Uh, they they uh, they just played Ecuador. They have a sense of who they are. Um, Ecuador is not one of these teams. You know, Klinsmann, uh, you know, made a comment the other night. And I think Grant. Grant wrote about this, you know, about how you you know you see the shirt and you get nervous because uh, because of the you know these teams have pedigree, these teams have reputation, um, and so I understand you know that if uh, you step on the field and not in a knockout game against the likes of Argentina or Uruguay or Brazil, you're gonna you know you're gonna sort of behold the history before you. Ecuador doesn't have that. I mean, Ecuador has has really no pedigree at all. Uh, they're one of only two teams in South America that actually hasn't won a Copa America. So they've sort of struggled in the knockout stage just like the U.S. has. And there's no reason to look at this team uh, as anything but, uh, you know, a team at about your level uh, that you're playing at home. You're on a two-game win streak. And, uh, and, and you should, they should expect to win this game. It's time for the U.S. if they want to take the next step uh, to expect to win these games against all but the very elite. Um, and Ecuador doesn't, uh, doesn't qualify for that. So, um, you know, I think the U.S. is also buoyed by the fact that they really feel some chemistry building, and 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 credit to Klinsman for finally realizing that you know if you put you know the same core of players on the field and let them actually play together, something might actually develop. Um, so you know it's especially the case after Yedlin's red card. I mean they had they had almost an entire half to play with ten men, and they did really well. Uh, they they really limited. Uh, Paraguay's looks at goal. Uh, they never really looked that stretch. They even created a couple chances on the counter. And that happens only, only when you've established chemistry with each other, when you have a sense of who's going to be where, when you know how, you, you, you know some patterns of building out and, get, and, and getting the ball through the lines uh, when it turns over. Um, and, 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 and that's not going to happen when, when you're not familiar with the guy next to you or how he's going to run. So uh, the, the chemistry that Klinsman helped them establish paid dividends at a crucial moment when Yedlin was sent off. And that's going to really, really help this team's confidence going in Ecuador. Yeah, to me, uh, my biggest takeaway from the final game against Paraguay was the fact that they fought for each other. I don't think I had seen a team that committed um, you know, since the World Cup, maybe. Um, you know, and, and look, the circumstances of the games are, are going to dictate that. You're not going to go all out in a friendly against you know some, some low-level CONCACAF team or anyone, really. But... It just it seemed like like the chemistry that you're talking about and the cohesion uh, was was taken to another level and that bodes well. That's kind of like the American spirit that we've gotten used to seeing with these teams over the years. Um, whether it's under Klinsman, Bradley, Arena, whoever, um, you know, it, it might not be the prettiest soccer. It definitely wasn't the prettiest soccer, but at the same time, uh, it's it's effective and and that's how the Americans have kind of gotten results uh, through the years. Grant, um, the the Yedlin red card though is is gigantic. Um, you know, this back line has not conceded a goal in the run of play yet in this tournament. Uh, yet if there's one, you know, guy who, who would be perfect to have against the speed of Ecuador, it's, it's Yedlin, and they don't have him. No, it's true, you know, and, and one thing you have noticed about Ecuador is their ability to get behind the back line and, and to do it from wide positions as well. There's a lot of speed out there, and, uh, and so if Yedlin's not it right back, and he won't be his replacement, likely to be Michael Orozco, not nearly as fast. Uh, I found it interesting after the uh, the game uh, the other night that Klinsman wasn't sure if the U.S. is going to play Ecuador or not, but he talked about needing to have the courage to play a high back line, uh, and 
and take that risk and, and trust yourselves knowing that if they do get behind you, you can do what John Brooks did against Paraguay and, and make up the ground and, and make the play. Uh, but that's going to be a challenge uh, against Ecuador. We saw Enter Valencia get behind the back line time and again in the group stage. Uh, uh, you know, Antonio Valencia, uh, very impressive out wide. Uh, you know, Jefferson Montero is another guy who uh, has a lot of speed out wide. So, uh, you know, the, the U.S. knows what to expect with these guys, but it's going to be a challenge, and not having Yedlin is going to make it tough. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you, you there are a couple of permutations, right? You could theoretically move Fabian Johnson over to right back, but then you're making two changes to the back line that's played so well. You know, is, is it a matter of, of making the fewest possible changes and, and going that way or, or you know, kind of looking at the personnel and saying, you know what, maybe he'd be better on the right? It's a, it's a big decision that Klinsman's going to have to make, um, and it could honestly define define this matchup. I don't know how much we can take from their friendly uh, that they played just a couple of weeks ago. It is interesting to me, though, that they scheduled that game knowing full well that this was a possibility, right? Like, they always could have met in the next round. Um, and Don't it's, forget the U.S. Uh, the U.S. and Belgium had a friendly scheduled right? a few days before the start of the 2014 World Cup, and I think they canceled it because of traffic, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Look, look, Jefferson Montero was 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 Ecuador's best player in the friendly in in Dallas. Um, he plays on the left wing. He and Yedlin went went back and forth all night. Yedlin actually held his own, even though Montero was their best player. Uh, he he, you know, Yedlin Yedlin did the job. And so I think when when Jurgen looks at that, he's going to have to try to figure out because then you've got Valencia coming down the right, you know. So, um, it, you know it. My my early hunch is that he might really consider moving Fabian Johnson. He might really consider moving him to the right, putting Edgar Castillo in on the left, and at least having two wide defenders with a bit of pace um, who, who can run back and forth with these guys. Uh, and that might give the UN, yes, it will disrupt a bit of the chemistry they built over the past few days, but Johnson played right back at the World Cup and, and played with, with Cameron. Uh, so it shouldn't be too disruptive. Um, and Castillo and Johnson are so much quicker than Orozco, who really, who, who really is, you know, is, is a center back, a hybrid kind of defender. Um, so that would be sort of my 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 leader uh, at this point with maybe how things would go. But yeah, no, he could put Orozco right back. I don't think he's, you know, some people I've seen, no, oh, put Jeff Cameron out there. He's not going to split Cameron and Brooks up after the last three games. There's no way. Um, and then you've got some other wild cards. I mean, you know, he, he put Beasler at outside back in, in one of the friendlies. Um, but right now, uh, I, my hunch would be Castillo and, and Johnson, um, and we'll see if that changed over the next few days. Got a question for for you guys. Before the tournament, we did a roundtable on Planet Football, just kind of posing the question: What is success for the United States in this tournament? Um, now here we are. They've they've won the group, which coming into to this tournament was was not the expectation, right? Colombia, I think, was was presumed to be the winner, um, and here they are. Uh, in in the quarterfinals against Ecuador. Now, if they lose this game, I I don't personally think you can call this tournament a, a success. I think right now the semifinal, which was Klinsman's stated goal um, before the tournament started, is is the baseline requirement. Um, but I'm I'm curious on on your thoughts, and Grant, I'll I'll start with you. I guess at this point now, what what is success? 
Well, I think winning this game against Ecuador would be a start. And if you don't do that and you go out against Ecuador in the quarterfinals of a tournament on home soil like this, that would be a disappointment. The U.S. is the favorite for this game. They should be the favorite. Uh, that doesn't mean Ecuador's a bad team. Uh, they're not at all. Uh, they've been doing really well in World Cup qualifying in South America. And uh, it's going to be a tough matchup for the U.S. But, um, you know, even when we were talking before the tournament about what is success for the U.S., we were saying that's dependent in part about how things end up working out and who they end up playing. And I think I remember writing at the time, uh, you know, it depends on who the U.S. gets in a quarterfinal. And I think you should expect to get past this quarterfinal if you're a U.S. US fan and, and you know, be unhappy if the U.S. doesn't. Brian, what, what do you think? Well, I've got four scarves already, so it's been a success. <laughs> what, what about for the guys on the field? Oh, right, that. Um, <laughs> I, I, when we did that roundtable, I wrote uh, semifinals and playing well in so many words. And, and so the semifinal, as Grant said, that, was, that came from Jurgen himself. So, you know, he's defined what success is for this team, and that's winning a knockout stage game, uh, and that's got to happen. Uh, the, other, the other part of it, playing well, I think they've done that. I, I, I think we've seen at last, after five years, uh, that, that Klinsman, again, has figured out that, that chemistry and familiarity and patterns and partnership, um, that, that these things develop. You know, he said at the beginning of the tournament, uh, you know, the team that finishes this tournament won't be the team that starts it. I mean, weren't you all, oh, God, here we go, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but again, to his credit, you know, uh, he's found roles, uh, for guys, whether it's Brooks and Cameron in the back, whether it's, it's finally figuring out a way to get Bradley and Jones, uh, to play together in midfield with Bradley sort of withdrawing and deferring and Jones being sort of the, the, you know, the, the roaming marauding destroyer and then creator. Um, there are things that are working here. And, and so I think that's a good sign. So I think if that continues and the U S beats Ecuador, I think you call this, uh, you call this a success. I mean, I wrote this in my preview last night, you know, the U S played its first senior international in 1916. It's been a hundred years. And in those hundred years, the U S has beaten a non CONCACAF team in a knockout game twice, two times in a hundred years. This has happened. So if they do it a third time on Thursday, that's significant. And if they do it playing well, that's even more so. And then I think at that point, you're playing with house money. You know, we were so close two years ago uh, to a, a, a meaningful U.S.-Argentina game. Um, I mean, the, we, our appetites were, I mean, we're as exhausted as we were in Brazil. The thought of being six inches from, from playing Argentina in a World Cup quarterfinal, that would have been the biggest game in U.S. history by some distance. It would have been massive. Um, and it, and it kind of sucked to miss out on that. So so now we're again, we're... Where uh, everything sort of shaping up uh, for USA Argentina Copa America semifinal. I mean, that would just be incredible, and and I think that if they go into that game and they hold their own, it, this tournament's a huge success. I would I would agree with that. Uh, one thing though, like I don't see the U.S. as as just bona fide favorites in this game. I think Ecuador is from purely soccer terms a, a better team. Just plain and simple. I remember watching the Ecuador Peru game. Um, and seeing the back and forth nature and, and the skill and just kind of the some of the clinical finishes and and thinking to myself, both of these teams are are significantly better on the field than the U.S. is. That doesn't mean that the U.S. can't win or shouldn't be expected to win. I think they're two entirely different things. 
but I I wouldn't take Ecuador lightly just because they're not Brazil. You know what I mean? Oh, you're, um, you're right. You're right. And 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 I didn't mean to. Yeah, I mean I didn't mean to say that. What 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 I think and Grant has said this too. The, the U.S. The U.S. is on home soil. They're on a roll. They they know Ecuador. They're not going to be intimidated by Ecuador. And and as we've said over and over, I mean, if the, if the U.S. is ever going to get to the next level, if it's ever going to get to the level. Um, Jurgen wants to get them to, and, and and everybody wants to see them get to, which is where they're challenging the sports elite teams at the big competitions. You've got to get past teams like Ecuador if you're going to win a, when, when you play around a 16 World Cup team, World Cup game. You're playing Ecuador, you're playing Ghana, you're playing Belgium, you're playing teams like that. You're not playing Brazil and Argentina and France and Spain. You've got to learn to win these games before you get to those games. And so that's what that that's the challenge and the opportunity that Thursday presents. I do think also when you're talking about the home field advantage, that's significant here. That to me is is what keeps this game from being close to fifty fifty. If this were played on neutral soil, I think it would be close to fifty fifty. Um, but the U.S. is going to have a very pro U.S. crowd, you would think, in Seattle, as opposed to maybe what uh, kind of crowd they would have had in the New York area if they played there instead. So. Uh, we'll see how that ends up working out. Another thing I, I find fascinating is Klinsman saying after the last game that he was sort of tired of the U.S. being the underdog and that whole role. And I get what he's saying. Uh, you want to have a situation where the U.S. takes it to the opponent no matter who it is uh, in an elimination game because Klinsman says, and I think he's right, uh, it's a new tournament once you get to the knockout rounds. It's a mentality. But I also think the U.S. is still very well suited mentally to playing the underdog's role, and there's not something necessarily wrong with that. I think they tend to play their best when that's part of their identity and how they approach a game. And I find it fascinating, too, in the comments that the U.S. players have said after the game against Paraguay, both in the post-game mix zone and also since then in their social media posts, they really have latched on to this uh, uh, us against the haters, us, us against the media, us against all these people saying horrible things about us, which actually isn't really the case. But that seems to be what motivates these players. And Brian and I were talking about this the other night after the Paraguay game when we spoke to the U.S. players, and several of them um, were not exactly happy that they advanced. Their mood was more one of almost anger at the media and people out there. And I fi I've always found that fascinating about, I guess, you know, whatever you use to motivate yourself. But uh, it reminded me of uh, the 2009 Confederations Cup when the U.S. had that m miraculous advancement in the last group stage game against Egypt. And you would have thought the guys would be just really happy. And instead, Michael Bradley was snarling at the media after that game. Uh, he wasn't quite to that level uh, after the Paraguay game, but it was somewhat similar. Uh, and I know he was probably unhappy with uh, some of the things that were uh, said and written about his performance after Colombia, but the fact was was that he didn't have a good game against Colombia. He's been much better since then. Uh, and so uh, that seems to be part of the U.S.'s mentality to, to sense what they feel is disrespect uh, or even to magnify that and, and use that to drive them. Hey, whatever works, right? <laughs> uh, a couple things to, to point out. Of course, because they finished first, the U.S. actually gets a day less of rest and has to fly all the way back across the country as opposed to getting a day more of rest and taking a short train ride up from Philly to New Jersey. Intangibles, you know, but over the course of a, of a tournament like this, those things can play a role. 
And also, uh, there's no extra time uh, in, in the quarterfinals or the semifinals. They go straight to penalties if this game ends in a draw. Um, it's, I mean, look, we're not going to know, you know what kind of impact that, that might have on things until we get there, but it's definitely something to keep in the back of the mind um, that, that if things start, uh, start getting away and, and a team is, is playing for a draw down the end and, and thinks that you know, their best shot is, is just a crapshoot of penalties, that's where we'll be. The U.S. was ousted uh, in penalties by Panama last summer, so in the third place game anyway, at the Gold Cup. So definitely some things to keep in mind. Um, but look, USA won its group and has a, a quarterfinal against Ecuador. I don't know that we all had uh, come close to seeing that entering this tournament. So congratulations to them. Credit where it's due. And we'll see what they're able to do Thursday night in Seattle. Uh, and I think that is going to do it for us on this special Copa America edition of the Planet Football Podcast. I want to thank Grant Wall and Brian Strauss. Definitely read everything that they've done uh, and that they will do about the U.S. on Planet Football. And our producer is Alex Adnos. I'm Avi Creditor. We'll talk to you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.